And as I've mentioned, you know, we are living in, in strange times. Fears of the coronavirus are, are still among us, but they have largely been displaced by the riots in response to the murder of George Floyd. And in fact, more than a thousand medical professionals, infectious disease specialists, and community stakeholders wrote an open letter recently that got a lot of press. Essentially, they argued that the systemic threat of white supremacy far surpasses the threat of COVID-19. And they literally said it was permitted to protest over this, but not over the stay-at-home orders. The inconsistencies are, are difficult to keep track of. In the past several weeks, we were also warned about other threats, such as flesh-eating rats. And one of my favorite memes from the past week stated, did we miss the murder hornets? I feel like we missed the murder hornets. It's interesting that week after week, I, I have not struggled to find a way to relate the sermon to our present circumstances. And this week is no different. Maybe that's because so much is going on that it would be hard to miss. Maybe that's because, uh, you know, we're just desperate to make sense of it all. And it's, it's hard not to take the context and, and, and to, to, to bring it to God's word and say, what can we learn from this? And if I'm wrestling with that all week, then I think it, it might be beneficial and helpful for you. But at the same time, we have to be aware that the danger in that, the threat in that, is that we focus on the news and not the gospel, the good news. We fail to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I, I hope that the Lord has allowed me to preserve that ultimate truth in this sermon this week. So last week we focused on the positive aspects of the third commandment. We are to approach God with reverence, recognizing his holiness and his worthiness to receive our honor and our praise. We said, if approaching God in a flippant manner results in his displeasure, then approaching God with reverence through Jesus Christ results in his pleasure, that he delights to receive our praise when it is given in the proper way. And so as we read once again this passage, or before we do so, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we depend upon you every time we open your word to give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth, to soften our hearts, or that we would, we would be convicted by the truth. Lord, you are sovereign, you are in control, and we come recognizing not only does our sin impact the way we act and the way we speak, it, it affects the way we think. It affects the way we interpret things. And so even in reading your word, we can, we can have a faulty understanding of it. As we think about the third commandment, the, these things should come to the surface. The importance of thinking about you rightly. And in light of that, it, it it's a reflection upon our dependence upon you by your spirit to enable us to worship you rightly. 
So Lord, help us to do that now. For your glory in Christ's name, we ask it. Amen. Read with me Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Amen. Well, while, while we spent some time considering how flippant we can often be in our prayer life, I want to expand on the discussion regarding the, the various ways that we might dishonor God's name in our sermon this morning. And the first way, the first idea that really comes to mind as you reflect upon this verse is the idea of perjury. And that's really the, the thing that's on the surface of this command is do not commit perjury. This command needs to be broadened, of course, to include not only our words, but our thoughts and our actions. However, we can begin by looking at our speech because that is the most basic meaning here. The primary function of the command is to forbid perjury, which is lying under oath. If you're a witness in a trial, you will take an oath. Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? That's the oath we take here. If we're on trial now, Quakers who have a problem with taking oaths in general replace oath with sw uh, or replace the word swear with a firm. And if you do not believe in God, you can replace, so help me God, with under the pains and penalties of perjury. Additional various modifications have been offered and they're allowed by the courts as long as an individual can demonstrate that they recognize a moral obligation to be honest. As long as you can commit to that, recognizing that there is a moral obligation in the witness stand to be honest, you're allowed to to say whatever you want, I guess, in, in terms of making an oath or, or not making an oath. You, you need to display your commitment to honesty. Now, some have, have wrongly argued that the third commandment for, forbids any kind of oath-taking whatsoever, but that's obviously not where we stand. That's not how we understand it. Every member of the church <clears throat> joins by taking five vows of membership. Right? You're asked questions, and, and in response, you say, I do. In fact, if you're unwilling to, to do that to every one of those vows, then you're not allowed to join the church. We believe it's that important. And so taking those vows is not forbidden. It's, it's not forbidden by this commandment. However, taking those vows in a light manner is forbidden. Breaking your vows of membership which have been spoken before God and his people, is a form of breaking this commandment. That's why whenever we receive new members here at this church, I, I take a moment to explain and encourage people who are members here to recognize that these are the same vows that they also took. To consider whether they're out of accord in any way with those vows in substance. And if so, to be sure that they talk to the leadership of the church. And the same could be said for anyone who's taken an oath of office within the church. 
or as a civil authority, their vows are important and we must not take them lightly. To do so is to take the name of God lightly because it is in his name that you're taking that oath or making that vow. And so the, the first thing we can do by dishonoring or, or breaking this command is, is by misrepresenting God's nature. Since the name of God is representative of who he is and what he has done, to say anything that misrepresents him is forbidden as well. This is where we would include the violation of false doctrine. So let us just consider a few of the common violations. God is one, so he cannot exist in three persons. That's one fairly common false doctrine. To deny the Trinity is to deny the very clear worship that's offered to God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, in Scripture. Another one might be that God created the world, but he did so through this giant bang that, that just jump-started evolution, and then he kind of took his hands off of the world, off of creation. Well, I believe the Bible is not compatible with macro-evolution. Another one might be that Jesus was a real person, but he was not born of a virgin, nor did he rise from the dead. We can accept the teachings that he gives, and we can encourage them, but we cannot, we cannot you know, accept these miraculous events. If you can read the Bible by turning the central figure into folk folklore, then you've missed everything. Another one is God is loving but not wrathful. You'll be hard-pressed to find any book in the Bible that lacks a word about God's righteous judgment. We should also add any misrepresentation of God's redemptive work to this list. Those who deny justification by faith alone in Christ alone break this command. Likewise, it's a violation of this command to suggest that you can earn or merit any part of your salvation. Salvation from beginning to end is a gracious work of a loving God. We must never think that we complete what God begins. No, rather, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. Likewise, we also do not want to dismiss God's providence. As we consider this command, we should not be dismissive of his providence. And this is where I see some very direct relevance to our experience in this past few weeks. I feel like we're, we're fighting for the well-being of our nation like never before, at least in my lifetime, right? Uh, the moral compass of our nation is at stake. And I know there is nothing new under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes 1.9. But can we admit that we have not seen anything like this level of unrest, at least since 1968, when riots erupted after the death of Martin Luther King Jr.? The, the videos and the pleas that I've seen on social media 
reveal a very strong desire to seize the moment and to squeeze as much as we can from it. From all sides. All sides are taking an opportunity right now. And so bear with me for a moment, because this, this might sound like a rant, but it, it does connect. One phrase I hear daily is how important it is for me to keep in mind my white privilege. And most people seem to be unaware that the origins and purposes of this language have nothing to do with Scripture. Many within the church have co-opted this language and some have gone even so far as to call Christians to repent of the blindness that we have to our unearned privilege. Which is another way of talking about white privilege. And that's the definition that the original author of white privilege gives. It's a way of subtly evading the language that's so divisive. And so I have to ask, what would it look like to repent of white privilege? I can only see any answer to that, to that minimizing what repentance truly is or completely disregarding the God to whom we must repent. How am I supposed to pray? Am I supposed to say, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that you made me this way. I forgive you for giving me this unearned privilege. Yeah, that's blasphemy. The same is true if you have black or brown privilege. We are not in positions to question God's design for our lives and then offer him forgiveness for his providence. To lament our God-given ethnicity is a direct misapplication of God's providence in our lives, which is a violation of this commandment. Read the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 113. Such anger and self-hatred ought to be unthinkable for anyone who recognizes that they bear the image of God. Now, I'm not, I'm not ignoring the reality of bias in our hearts, that are oftentimes manipulated and motivated by sinful tendencies. And I will admit that most believers who are advocating for the church to do more to end systemic racism are not saying we need to repent of our skin color. That's not what I'm hearing from most people. But that is what people are doing right now. I saw one video that was extremely disturbing. A group of, of white Christians kneeling before a group of black people who were standing opposite them while someone on their knees prayed a prayer of repentance. It's, it's, it's nothing more than virtue signaling. And it seems to know no bounds right now. Not, not theological boundaries not moral boundaries. And so here's what I want to say. Let's have a conversation with others. Let's be willing to ask hard questions and to hear difficult answers. 
Let's even be willing to be uncomfortable because we don't really know what to say. But let's not fill the void with apologies for sins that we did not commit. And let's certainly not spin this as a problem that God needs to be forgiven for allowing it to happen. To do so would be to profane his name. And so yes, this would include our flippant use of God or Jesus or Christ. There are many forms of misuse in our modern vernacular and we would do well to conscientiously remove them from our language. What comes out of our mouths reveals our hearts and if we can speak God's name in a flippant manner, it means we hold him with low regard in our hearts. If you can joke about God's name with your mouth, it is likely that you hold him lightly or with levity in your heart. To call into question the value of God's name is to question his very existence. If we have not done this in our speech, we've often done it in our thoughts and in our actions, which are also implicated by this command. So scripture reveals how the subject of the third commandment extends beyond our speech. In Leviticus 18.21, offering children in sacrifice to Moloch is an example of profaning the name of God false worship. To make an oath or swear by God's name is also taking it in vain. Leviticus 19.12. The Lord who sanctifies his people must be sanctified. Uh, or sorry, the, the Lord who sanctifies his people must be uh, sanctified by him. Leviticus 22. So to sin openly and obnoxiously is to revile the Lord's name. To reject God's word or his servants even, is a form of blasphemy according to Nehemiah chapter 9. So once again, we, we bump into an illustration of something that occurred last Sunday. Both Donald Trump and Joe Biden used churches for photo opportunities, and it's quite clear in both cases that our current president and his primary opponent were pandering for Christian voters to take pictures at churches that neither of them attend. Donald Trump used a Bible for a prop. Joe Biden used black Christians as a backdrop. And it stretches credulity to believe either gesture was genuine. We should not condone it. And so if that is true, then it is a serious matter to invoke the name of God so casually. Yes, I realize that that probably offends all of us equally. And it should. We should be okay Right, to be corrected by God's word. This is nothing new for politicians. Both parties have been pandering for the religious vote for quite some time, but that doesn't excuse it. The problems in our, our nation are not primarily political. Right, pro problems exist because people are sinful, and we can argue about the best course of action to bring justice in our nation, but what is needed more than anything else within the church is a community where the old interact with the young and where everyone is exhorted to conduct themselves in a way that honors the word of God. Read Titus chapter two, verses two through five. This is an opportunity for the church to show to the watching world that the love of God compels us to love one another. First John four eleven. And so our unity in Christ must supersede any political ambitions. And so we want to conclude there with this idea that Christ fulfills the third commandment. 
Remember, to dishonor God's name is to dishonor who he is and what he has done. And that includes his redemptive work. We cannot lose sight of the context in which this command was given to Moses. God was passing on to him the covenant promises that he had been that had been given to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Moses was receiving that covenant of grace. Right? Under a new administration with 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 signs. And, and greater clarity that was given under the law. And so if Christ was to be the fulfillment of the covenant promises that God made to the patriarchs, then Christ would be the embodiment, the very incarnation of the name of God. This is John Fesco. If Christ was to be the fulfillment of the covenant promises that God made to the patriarchs, then Christ would be the embodiment, the very incarnation of the name of God, the fulfillment of this third commandment. This is certainly no more evident than in our Savior's name. Jesus is the English transliteration of the Greek name Jesus, which is the Greek transliteration of the name Yehoshua which literally means Yahweh is salvation. The name Yehoshua is the English translation of the Old Testament name Joshua. Quite literally, the name of the Savior is Joshua. Jesus, therefore, is the incarnation of God's name and the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the name of Jesus points to the redemption that he accomplished. It is only as we place our faith in him that we can be saved. Our theological understanding of Christ as God who took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, was buried and rose again on the third day, and after ascending into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, from which he will come again in judgment. His is the name that is exalted above every name. His is the name which every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the only way to truly honor the name of God is to place our faith in the Son of God. In so doing, we receive the imputed and perfect righteousness of Christ. And then out of our union with Christ flows a life that seeks to give God a proper reverence in speech and conduct and that is willing to condemn injustice in all of its forms. But we, because we have a Savior who bore that injustice in, in our place. Right? And, and now we are united to him. In other words, out of gratitude for our Savior, we seek to please God in word, thought, and deed. It's not as if we just place our faith in Christ and then 
and then we live how we please. We live how we want. No, our lives are transformed by that faith. By the, I should say, by the God in whom we place that faith. He does a work in our hearts so that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in us. Right, the, the covenant faithfulness of God is expressed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Christ, all of the shadows of the old covenant were finally and fully fulfilled. So that we read in Hebrews 1, verses 3 through 4, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. You see the direct connection between his name and his redemptive work. And so, yes, the third commandment exhorts us to watch our language especially as it pertains to our view of God, but in its fullest sense, it is about conforming our lives to the one who gave his life for us. So let us live for Christ in the midst of the present chaos for as long as we are called to by the enabling work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Only until we reach glory will we no longer fear the possibility of violating the third commandment. And let us look forward to the day when our redemption is sight and we gather around the glassy sea with saints from every tribe, tongue, and nation, offering pure worship in the name of our Lord and Savior. That will be a glorious day. And let us long for that even now. Let us strive for that, for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder, Lord, of the importance of, of not bringing dishonor to your name, of refusing maybe to acknowledge the weight with which we use your name. or which we speak of who you are or what you have done. Lord, forgive us for any way that we have done that this past, these past few weeks. Lord, as, as we've tried to navigate the challenges ourselves and maybe spoken with, with too much flippancy. Not about the things that we see in, in, in culture, but as it relates to your providence, as it relates to what, what you have brought upon this nation, what you have allowed our nation to descend into, or there's something to, to learn from this. There's an opportunity for us to grow, to mature, to be brought to you in repentance for sins we've committed 
in the past or in the present. May we continue to come before you with that humility and anyone we've offended. And may we come before them as well and seek full reconciliation. May that take place among various ethnicities. May that take place among various groups of people within homes and families where there's division. Lord, may there be peace as we once again recognize all Christ has done for us. May his humility compel us to that same humility. And as we interact with others in this world, Lord, protect us and preserve us from going too far, from going beyond what your, your word commands, from creating additional perceived sins and calling upon the world and the, the nation in particular to repent of those sins. Lord, help us to, to recognize any blind spots that we have. Help us to reflect upon those, to call them out and to repent of them. Lord, if, 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 if we've allowed those blind spots to, to mislead us in any way. Lord, we do want to honor you. We want to bring you glory. And we recognize that that is what is commanded here in the third commandment. And so in light of that, we do depend upon Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. Help us once again cling to the cross in this time. Help us return the love that you've shown for us with gratitude, living a life that seeks to honor you in word, thought, and deed. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.